0: Hillary, I'm Emily, and, and we're the, the Sirens. Sirens. Today, we're talking about the 1944 musical "Meet Me in St. Louis." St. Louis, Louis, depending on whether you're talking <laughs> about the m- movie or the city. So, it's made in 1944. It's a musical that is directed by uh, Vincent Minnelli, who later became the father of Blythe Minnelli um, and the. Uh, an American treasure. Yes, an American <laughs> treasure. The movie is the story of the Smiths family, which is a family of four girls and one boy, um, and their parents and their grandfather, who um, who live in St. Louis in the year. And it follows them in the the year leading up to the World's Fair of 1904. Um, it's divided in into seasonal vignettes, and is for the most part um, focused on the two older girls. Love stories, and also the youngest girl's um, exploits as a (laughs) five-year-old. And we'll get more into the plot like later. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any trivia to share about
1: this movie? Yes, I do. Well, it was nominated for four Academy Awards, and Margaret O'Brien, who played Tootie, won Outstanding Child Actress for the role, and she was like. Tremendously popular and a huge hit As an actress uh, The movie was based on the real life experiences Of novelist Sally Benson Tootie was based on her The book on which The film was based originally ran as a Weekly feature in the New Yorker
0: magazine In 1942 um, it's but Called it, five five one three five Kensington Which <laughs> just rolls off your tongue
1: Which is funny because It seems very pastoral to me, like, at least the way it is in the movie, and doesn't feel very New Yorkery, but I guess it might have been a different tone at the time. Yeah. Um, But in reality, the author's family did move to New York in the end, and Um, did not stay in St. Louis, so... Which
0: would have been a better ending to the movie, if you ask (laughs) me. Um, You don't think it was a good ending to have uh, a couple of men coming in and... Proposing, um, proposing, and like waving their their uh, their fingers around to like make proclamations about what their family will and will not do,
1: and uh-huh. yelling.
0: Correct. That was not the best
1: ending. <laughs> also, just like anticlimactically going to the fair at the end without that being like an important plot point yeah i mean i guess the fair was just a framework basically but but it seemed like a lot of the like important things that happened and then they were like now we're jumping forward in time and we're going to go to the fair but it doesn't actually have any plot development (laughs) all right so (laughs) back to trivia vincent minnelli was obsessed with having the movie as accurate to the times as possible so he had the novelist give explicit directions as to the decor of her home down to the last detail. So, like, the house actually was very accurately the author's house. And he had the movie's costume designer go back to, like, the Sears catalog and Montgomery Ward and all to get all of the costumes super accurate. Apparently the only thing that was anachronistic from the whole thing was the way the girls wore their hair. Because at the time they would have worn their hair up you know, once they were considered, like, adults. Yeah. And in this movie, they all wore their hair down, which was, I think, more the style at the time. Um, Movie was a big hit, and it made more money than any prior MGM release in 20 years, with the exception of Gone with the Wind. (laughs) This was a kind of a dark piece of trivia. So Margaret O'Brien's mother wanted her to make more money for playing Tootie, And the studio didn't want to pay it, so they cast the young daughter of a lighting man who was working on the film, and they even, like, fit her with the costumes and everything. Uh, But then the studio executives changed their minds and said, all right, we are going to go with Margaret O'Brien. And then when she was acting in a scene, the lighting man, like, deliberately dropped a light onto the set that narrowly missed her. Because he was so upset, and then, um, was committed to a mental institution. Oh my god. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, I thought it was amazing that Judy Garland did the trolley song in one take. Oh. Which is... I thought that scene looked like a ton of fun. Like, all those people being on the trolley and singing. I don't know. I would step into that scene. Mm -hmm. Um... (laughs) Vincent Minnelli and Judy Garland met on this movie and married soon afterwards. Um, and she claimed she married him because she felt very beautiful during this film. And it'll, you know, when I talk about her bio, it'll come up, you know, why that would be unusual that she would feel good about herself.
0: Um, Poor Judy Garland.
1: <laughs> she kind of had a reputation among the other actors as a diva during this movie that she complained about illnesses and headaches and, like, took a bunch of days off or, like, wouldn't show up to set and would say she was exhausted all the time, um, which the other actors thought was just her, like, being a star, but in reality she had a lot of, like, personal problems going on and stuff, so... Poor Judy Carlin. I know. Um, Should I just go right into her bio? Yeah, (laughs) I might as well... (laughs) Which, if anyone doesn't know, this is another sad bio that just researching this made me so depressed. This made me feel worse than the Marilyn Monroe one. (laughs) (laughs) Which is saying something. Yeah. So, Judy Garland was born Frances Ethel Gum in 1922 in Minnesota, and she was the youngest daughter of vaudevillians Ethel and Frances Gum. Uh, She did not have a good family life. Uh, Because her mother was kind of like a stage mom Who was really pushing her to succeed all the time And her father was in the closet And the family would like regularly have to leave town Suddenly because of his affairs And sometimes they were living in their car And you know, it was not stable Um, At a very young age, Garland began performing in Vaudeville With her two older sisters They did a dancing act And her mother, who was kind of like a Gypsy Rose type of character, (laughs) Um, thought she had the best star qualities of the daughters, took her out of the act, and they traveled across America where she performed in nightclubs and cabarets. Uh, In 1935, she was signed by Louis B. Mayer from MGM after he heard her sing, and it was then that she got her um, Hollywood name of Judy Garland, which was after a popular 1930s song, Judy, and the film critic Robert Garland. So she made more than two dozen films with MGM, including nine with Mickey Rooney. Um, She's most famous for playing Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, which I think we'll do at some point for the podcast. Um, Her other notable roles were this movie, The Harvey Girls, and Easter Parade. After 15 years, she was released from the studio, and then she took her career in more of a stage and um, music recording direction. Um, She made record-breaking concert appearances, had a successful recording career, and um, she had her own Emmy-nominated television series. She didn't appear in film as much later in life, but she did get two Academy Award nominate, nominations for A Star is Born and Judgment at Nuremberg. She's received, like, a million awards, obviously. She, she has a Golden Globe, a Juvenile Academy Award, a Special Tony Award, and when she was 39, she was the youngest and first female recipient of the Cecil B. DeMille Award for Lifetime Achievement in the film industry. Oh. She was the first woman to win a Grammy for Album of the Year for her live recording um, of Judy at Carnegie Hall, and she was posthumously awarded a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, And in 1999, the American Film Institute placed her among the ten greatest female stars of classic American cinema. So that was her professional life. But in her personal life, she struggled from an early age Uh, The pressures of stardom affected her physical and mental health from the time she was a teenager, and her self-image was influenced and constantly criticized by film executives who believed her to be physically unattractive and manipulated her on-screen physical appearance. And I read that... Meet Me in St. Louis was the first film in which she didn't have to wear nose discs and, like... I don't know if they would be considered, like, veneers, but some kind of mouthpiece. And all of the movies before, this, they, made, they thought that she was not pretty, so they made her wear all these, like, weird prosthetic things oh to manipulate the shape of her face. And she worked with a new makeup artist in this movie who embraced her natural beauty and just like played up her features and didn't she didn't wear any prosthetics and um that's why she said it was the first time she actually felt beautiful like when she saw the film which is so sad it's so sad um it gets worse so from the time she was a teenager she was given numerous pills by the studio doctors in order to combat her tiredness on set <laughs> Um, How dare she get tired
0: working 10 hour days Yeah
1: and when she was a child actor The labor laws weren't really in place To protect her Um, So she probably Was just exhausted all the time Uh, The studio executives Objected to her weight fluctuation And gave her amphetamines To For her to maintain the desired streamlined figure And The combination of these pills Resulted in her lifelong drug addiction The studio executives also convinced her to abort the baby from her first marriage to band leader David Rose in order to maintain her good girl image. And that decision haunted her for the rest of her life. And she was plagued by alcohol and substance abuse as well as financial instability into her adulthood. She owed like tons of money in back taxes. And her addictions led to her death in England from a barbiturate overdose at age 47. The end. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, when we did Marilyn Monroe's bio, I thought that one was horrible. But the level to which the studio executives yeah. abused her yeah. is horrifying. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was watching this movie and feeling like, oh... Like even though she's dead now, and like we can't do anything to change how she was treated, it felt I felt kind of gross watching this movie. Yeah, just as thinking about how poorly she was treated.
1: Yeah, and that's just, like, a brief bio. I didn't even get into, like, all her marriages and stuff, so, I mean, (laughs) there's there's a lot out there if you want to find out more about Judy
0: Carlin. Do you have any more uplifting things to share with us? (laughs) I wouldn't use the word uplifting to describe the life of Mary Astor, but, um... She wasn't addicted to pills She was just an alcoholic So yeah And she plays the mother She plays the mother, Anna Mary Esther is best known for her role As Bridget O'Shaughnessy In The Maltese Falcon Which was released in 1941 So a few years before this movie But she began her career as a teenager In silent movies In in the 1920s when she was um, 14 And she had She was born in Quincy, Illinois Um, So she's a fellow Illinoisan like me. Her parents were newly naturalized U.S. citizens, and um, they were both teachers. When she was a teenager, her family moved to Chicago, where a photographer um, saw her photo. And um, her her first screen test was um, directed by Lillian Gish, um, who was so impressed by her uh, recitation of Shakespeare that she shot a thousand feet of her. She was born Lucille um, Kanki I don't know how you pronounce that, um, but she was renamed at the age of 15 by a, by a suite of people that included Paramount Pictures chief Jesse Lasky, um, film producer Walter w- Wanger, and gossip columnist Luella Parsons. Oh. Um, she and her parents moved to Hollywood in 1923. Um, John Barrymore saw her photo and cast her in a movie He was much older than she was um, She was not 18 yet um, when they met and started a movie together But he, he wooed her um, hmm. Her parents were not happy about this One of the ongoing themes in Mary Esther's life is her sort of rocky um, codependency with her parents. Mm -hmm. And anyway, they disapproved of John Barrymore, which makes sense, I guess. They went back and forth on who who would be allowed to control her salary. And it wasn't until she was 26 years old that um, she gained control of it from her parents. But at that point, her parents sued her for financial support.
1: How is that legal?
0: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) At that point, they were all living in this, like, ugly, sprawling house called, um, Moorcrest that was built by some theosophists. And that, like, (laughs) that was this house that was, like, a, it was a burden on them more than anything else. But throughout the 20s, she appeared in, um, several films. She didn't make the jump from silent to, um, talking films, um fluidly. she People thought her voice was too masculine, so she went and did some theater uh, with a friend of hers um, and she married a director named Kenneth Hawkes, um, who died um, two years later um, in a mid-air plane crash over the Pacific Ocean while filming um, scenes for the Fox movie Such Men Are Dangerous. Um, she sort of had a a nervous breakdown shortly after that um, She was attended by a doctor named Franklin Thorpe Who she married um, about a year later um, They um, bought a yacht together and sailed to Hawaii And when they um, had their child They named her Marilyn Howley um, Thorpe who, Which was a combination of their first names And also was a, had, she had a Hawaiian middle name uh, Mary Astor had a lot of affairs that she detailed um, meticulously in her diary. And when um, her husband sued her for divorce when um, her, their kid was four years old, um, their, the diary served as evidence of all of the, the affairs that they had, or she had, and she was sort of dogged by, by scandal for a few years, but they didn't really have any effect on her career She continued um, to act throughout the 1930s and she won an Academy Award for Best Actress for The Great Lie, or Best Supporting Actress for The Great Eye, and she became good friends with Betty Davis, who was in that movie with her. She never really became um, like a a fancy movie star, um, but she continued to act. Throughout her middle years, when she admitted to being an alcoholic um, and tried to kill herself with pills um, three times in two years, she ultimately converted to Roman Catholicism and joined Alcoholics Anonymous and married her third and fourth husbands. And then, towards the end of her life, she decided um, in 1964 that she wanted to star in one last film, which was Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte with her friend Betty Davis, she appeared in a total of 109 movies over the course of 45 years. But then after that movie, she, she retired um, and then died on September 25th, 1987, which is my was my second birthday uh, at the age of 81 um, at the Motion Picture House Complex in L.A. But she um, was quoted as saying that there are five stages in the life of an actor, Who's Mary Astor? Get me Mary Astor. Get me a Mary Astor type. Get me a young Mary Astor. Who's Mary Astor? <laughs> <laughs>
1: not, not that uplifting. Her death wasn't that tragic.
0: No. That's true. She did live to be the ripe old age of 81.
1: Now, and didn't she play Marmy in that a later mm. adaptation of Little Women? I think she and both Margaret O'Brien were in a later... Yeah.
0: Margaret O'Brien was in a later... Or er, not, version of Jane Eyre. There Margaret O'Brien had... We could have bought her, That's too. Right. She'll probably pop up in other things yeah. we watch, though. Well, and she's still alive, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. She's not... I mean, she's like 87, which doesn't seem that old, but...
1: Oh, another, I don't know if this is true or not, like it's not corroborated, but I read that she was able to cry very easily, like her acting was good for someone her age, Margaret O'Brien, and Vincent Minnelli couldn't figure out what her mom was saying to her to make her cry for those scenes, and then the one day her mom was like, Vincent Minnelli, you have to talk to her to make her cry this time because she's mad at me. And he was like, "All right, well, what do I have to say?" And she was like, "You have to tell her that someone's going to kill her dog." <gasps> and he was like, "I don't feel comfortable with that." Oh my god. But she was like, "You have to do it, or she won't cry." So he did it, and then he felt horrible about it. Oh my god! And like he thought that that was like child abuse. abuse. But in later interviews, Margaret O'Brien denied that. that was the so. Beautiful. But I don't know why he'd make something like that up. It's very specific.
0: Yeah. So um, should we get into it? Yes, there's a lot to talk about. I have a lot of questions about musicals and <laughs> what is supposed to actually happen in the universe of a musical. And so we're gonna go like
1: meta very, yeah, let's mm-hmm. all right.
0: Shoot. Yeah. okay, so I have a question. At the beginning of the movie, she when she's singing about the falling in love with the boy next door her mother comes in to the parlor to say, we're having a dinner in five minutes, so we'll go wash your hands or whatever. And she's like, "Yes, yeah, sure. She turns. She is like, I don't know, 50 feet from, from like the rest of the people in her family, lets out this ballad about how she's in love with the boy next door and all of those things. No one seems to bat an eye that there is a woman singing in the next room about falling in love. It's not something that people have overheard. Then, she, as, she, later, as she's trying to woo the boy next door by, like, having him turn out the lights with her. Is very sexy stuff. Very sexy. Smooth. <laughs> she starts humming to him, and then eventually bursts into song, and he's like, oh yes, there's a lady singing next to me. So, are they, like, in the real world of the musical, <laughs> are they singing or are they not singing? Is it a hey. thing that people can hear, or is it just, like... <laughs> First of all, none of those struck me as odd. <laughs> um, Are they really all dancing on the trolley?
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't ask these questions when we went into, like, a fantasy dance sequence for 20 minutes in Gene Kelly's eyeballs. <laughs> we were watching an American parent that's, that's true. I mean, my feeling <laughs> it was about too flabbergasted
0: by them. It,
1: it's basically just that the singing is, like...
0: Not disruptive to the world, you know what I mean? That's it's just part of the world. I mean, I ask these questions as someone who loves the movie The Music Man, which includes someone singing to a librarian in a library, and she doesn't seem to care.
1: <laughs> it's it's usually either a, like a way of people expressing their inner thoughts or just like a fun party version. Yeah. yeah, so. No, I don't think it's, I don't think anything about it. You reject my question. <laughs> well, I'm probably overly Im- immersed in musical world. So I'm just like, of course that person's... Sick. I mean, people break out into song and dance. in And, like, huge crowd scenes. And we're not thinking that that really happens. And I would love if that happened in my life. That's my fantasy. One of these days, I'm going to orchestrate a huge, like... That was a good point, though, that I didn't really notice that she was singing while she was going around with John to turn down the lamps. Because, yeah, she was basically singing a romantic song about him. He's such an idiot. Yeah. Oh, my
0: gosh. He was, like, stereotypical teenage boy. Because he's yes. supposed to be, like, 17. So, like, he acts like such an like. Such a 17-year-old boy.
1: Oh, I did say at one point, both the sisters are still in high school, and then yes. they're getting engaged. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, she's got... The oldest she could be is 17
0: at that point. Yeah. And... You got engaged when you were 17, right? Oh, yeah. But then, you know, my parents <laughs> stepped in. <laughs>
1: so, I Yeah, that part seemed odd to me. Even for that time period That it wouldn't be like Oh no, like at least
0: graduate high school Or something like that Well and Rose, the oldest sister Is going away to college And the dad is like, you're not getting married You're going to college And she's like, I hate money, I hate college I just Yeah, and then at one
1: point Esther says, if she gets engaged She doesn't have to go to college And I was like No, maybe go to college Yeah Look, maybe maybe you should take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah,
0: do it. I loved the house, the yes. set. It was gorgeous. I, I know. I I love that house. I don't know why you would move to New York when you can live in that beautiful house.
1: And I think they were right that they were going to have a serious downgrade, like, in class if they moved to New York. Because they were clearly, like, very upper-middle class- Like hobnobbing with the good families in St. Louis and then. The Smiths of St. Louis. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And in New York, the Smiths are nobody.
0: (laughs) There were. Okay, so then also me as the Illinoisan, I took some issue with the fact that they were like freaking out about how there was this World's Fair in St. Louis as if it was the only time that the World's Fair had ever existed in the United States when um, 10 years prior there was a World's Fair in Chicago. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's not that exciting, guys. Just <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, it made me
1: think. My mom went to one of the world's fairs, and she still talks, like, when she was a kid, she still talks about how cool it was. Yeah. I mean, it must have been late 50s, early 60s yeah. when she went. But So I could see, like, some level of excitement. Yeah. But it was weird that the entire year that was, like, all they were talking, talking about, about. And they were like, let's go to the swamp let's just go look at the swamp that will be something at some point um and i was like you guys need other things (laughs) going on in your lives (laughs) i thought the the romance between esther and john seemed very contrived yeah like he had lived there for three weeks and she hadn't even talked to him and she was like i'm in love with him And then he just seemed like a complete dolt the whole time Like, there was nothing actually appealing Like, unless it was just, like, he was good-looking Yeah
0: But then he, like, played basketball He was so, like, so into playing basketball That he couldn't remember to go get his tuxedo Which I was like, where is his mother? That his mother is like, (laughs) hey, you need to go get this tuxedo So you can go take the Smiths of St. Louis To this fancy Christmas dance (laughs) Like, if you really like, I mean, you're old enough to know better Yeah, I mean, I would have been more
1: angry about that just because it was inconsiderate. Yeah,
0: although she's only seventeen, so maybe she she hates basketball. (laughs) (laughs) I I loved how then the grandfather took her. I I love the grandfather. I love him. That he plays the great uncle, the crotchety great uncle in The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. Oh, I thought I recognized him. He was good crossover. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well I thought this movie it was interesting watching this after we watched Little Women. Yes. Because there were similar vibes. I mean Little Women I thought was like a way better movie, but it felt very like warm and homey and like yeah. the family actually got along. There was good chemistry between the siblings. Um, I thought that The two, Esther and Rose, both had good chemistry with Tootie. And it was nice seeing that they cared about each other. And uh, I actually, well, we'll talk about with the Bechtel test, but like the fact it was very focused on the family. And so even though there were romances in it, it wasn't like that was
0: it. Yeah. It was all about like relationships. And I mean, it was sweet that the, when Rose didn't have a date to the, to the Christmas dance, that um, you know, the other people in the family convinced Rose and Lonnie to go together, which yeah, they were, they were cute about it.
1: They were, and I was thinking I would have felt the same way. Like I can't go with my brother, <laughs> but but it was sweet. And then the, and then Esther went with her grandfather. So
0: yeah,
1: and then it all worked out. What did you think of the Tootie character?
0: I sort of liked her as a foil to the like the goody two-shoes, like, older girls because she was so, like... She was like, I'm gonna go ride on the ice um, wagon and I'm gonna go be the bravest kid and I'm gonna, like, go kill the the scary people on Halloween and lie about being, like, hit by a trolley. And, like, she... I mean, she... she and she was obviously, like, the, ki- the kid on the block that everybody loved and everybody yeah. knew her and everybody was, like curious about her. Well, it's
1: interesting because a lot of times when there's a little kid in any of these movies, I find them very annoying. (laughs) But somehow, I didn't find her annoying. Yeah. It might have been that she was a better actress. (laughs) (laughs) But... I did find some of the kid plot lines. Like, that whole extended Halloween yeah. thing. I was like, where is this going? Like, Why? how is this relevant to anything that's going on? Yeah. And the f- throwing flower at people's faces. Had... Do you know about that? No. I was like... <laughs>
0: And calling it killing them, I, yeah, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Like,
1: and the parents were like, "Here is your sack
0: of flour to throw in people's faces." I don't know how old Agnes, the other sister, is supposed to be, but I was sort of surprised that the parents were like, "Yes, it's Halloween. Let's send our five-year-old and like this other kid out to go like tramp around the neighborhood with the other like kids, and you know, yeah. not worry about." Them. I mean, I know it was another time and another place, but.
1: They did seem really young. And I couldn't believe that all those kids were having, like, a huge bonfire. <laughs> like, they were burning furniture and stuff. This seems like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> like, yeah. there should be one adult with a fire stick. Extingu- well, something. A bucket. Yeah, or something. There should be somebody. <laughs> were there any of the songs or dances that you particularly liked? Or how did you feel about the music? Under the Bamboo Tree...
0: Made me a little uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. It was basically like, like, minstrelsy.
0: Yeah. Of some, some kind of cultural appropriation.
1: Um, As I was listening to it, I kept trying to, like, who were they talking, what culture is this that they're talking about? Yeah.
0: But, I, I don't know. The trolley song I liked, I wasn't wowed by them. Um, I liked the dancing scenes.
1: Yeah. I thought the The costumes were so colorful, and like all those party scenes looked like a ton of fun
0: yeah
1: and a lot of this movie it's like it's the plot isn't super compelling or like that interesting, but it's a it's an interesting movie to watch visually yeah I think the way it's shot and like there's a lot of action yeah there's just a lot to see in it and it's yeah. like less about. You know, the story
0: Yeah, well, and there's some cool shots of, like, them, the family members sitting at the piano Or, like, getting the, them sitting in their parlor Judy Garland's voice
1: is amazing, I feel like Yeah That goes without saying I really liked the song that the mother and father did Oh, yeah At the piano Even though it was obvious that Mary Esther
0: wasn't actually playing the piano <laughs>
1: <laughs> And apparently that wasn't the father's real voice either That was dubbed but I... You know, there's two other romances happening in this movie with the daughters, but I thought that was the most romantic scene in yeah, the movie.
0: absolutely. they have five kids together, and yet they're still singing together. That was really nice. That father was kind of a grouch, though. Oh, my God. He was... I mean, like, the first 20 minutes are all about, like, how can we continue to have our lives and still make father happy? And... <laughs> I felt bad for that servant, Katie. I would have
1: quit, like, in an instant, the way he was.
0: Although I guess maybe she's supposed to have been there for, you know, the whole time that they've been together, so she's probably used to it.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) It bothered me how the father just decided everything for the whole family. Like, he came home and was like, I got this job opportunity, we're all moving to New York. He didn't even talk about it with his wife, like, separately. Yeah. And then he decided for them to stay on the
0: other end without talking to anybody. Yeah. And they were all happy about it, but on the other hand, like, what a, like, jolt back and forth.
1: Yeah, and they they were all packed and everything. Yeah, I, I didn't care. For, I mean, that might have been a sign of the times also, but it seemed very much at his whim.
0: Yeah, just like, whatever he wants to do is totally fine, and... And he doesn't seem to care about what his family like wants or what will make them happy.
1: The proposal Rose got was also sort of like that. Yes,
0: totally. Like
1: her guy, what's his name Marshall Warren. Oh, Warren. Yeah, one of those names. <laughs> <laughs> Warren came in and was just like, "We're getting married, and I'm going to yell about it, and, and I'm not even going to ask you because I'm just telling you this is what's happening, and I love you."
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I was
1: like, oh, "Okay, that's." That's great. Romantic. That sounds like a lovely thing. Although I guess
0: it's like starts with them yelling on the phone to each other, like long distance. So they might as well just yell at each other. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Her family was like sh- actually nicely very supportive about the fact that the phone call didn't work out. Yeah. Like, they were all just like, well, I bet no one else ever got a long-distance call <laughs> to ask about the weather. Yeah, which I thought was kind of nice. Because, yeah. you know, when, you, when you're when you that age, the disappointments, romantic disappointments do hit you kind of hard. <laughs> you can be sensitive about <laughs> it. Oh,
0: beautiful girl. What a gorgeous creature. Beautiful girl.
1: Black be call a preacher, what can I do, but give my heart to you.
0: What did you think of the costumes? Um, they were, they were, I was interested to hear that they were based on, like, actual catalog um, costumes, because they seemed, like, outlandish and over the top. It's like in the beginning, when she's wearing the striped dress, with the striped stockings and then this gigantic bow, And was like, Bang, "What is? What is that?" Um, and then when she's sobbing because uh, uh, John has forgotten to get his tuxedo, and then Grandpa comes and says, she'll, "He'll go, He'll take her." And the mother comes in to comfort her, and she's wearing this robe that is looks like it could have been made out of the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> oh, I
1: felt bad for her in the corset scenes. Oh, yeah. And when she wore that red dress, I mean, I'm sure Judy Garland was actually wearing a corset for that. It She really, like, the silhouette was unbelievable. I mean, she they really kind of did look like Gibson
0: girls. Yeah. Although, I have some questions about, like, again, about, you're in a mu- yes, you're in a musical, you're wearing this corset, but then you burst into song after you've just said yeah. that you can't breathe... How are you singing if you can't breathe? I
1: was wondering. That's a good point. Like, I wonder if they filmed the mu- like the parts where she's singing differently, so she could use her diaphragm better. Yeah. Because I can't imagine it's easy to sing it in a course. No.
0: Or I wonder if it's like re- pre-recorded audio, and then she just could like. Be.
1: Yeah, um, I thought it was really cute in the beginning scenes with the grandfather was choosing his hat. Yeah. And then he wore a fez to dinner for, like, no reason. (laughs) That was really great. Like, overall, I just thought the costumes were really colorful and added a lot of vibrancy to the movie. Yeah. Like, all the extras and everything looked really great. Yeah.
0: We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Do we talk about social justice at all? Oh, well, no, well, we. Sh-
1: the only thing that can come to mind for me with that is is that horrible cakewalk song, okay. which is, like, the
0: opposite of social That's justice. Right. Well, and the only other time that I thought about it was when they were at the fair, and um, John was said, you know... You know, I would rather go to the swamp with you. You know, and, and it just reminded me of like the destruction of like human civilization and how <laughs> <laughs> how we just like bulldoze nature.
1: Yeah, I don't feel passing. like there was really a social justice message, although there was sort of like a very basic, like, message of kindness, I think, within the family. Like, the way they treated one another. Oh, I really like the scene where Judy Garland went and, like, beat up John because she thought that he had hurt her sister. Yeah. I mean, not
0: that I'm advocating for violence, but that she would put her family over this boy that she's in love with. Yeah. I loved that.
1: That was good. Um, even if it ended up later being for naught. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I would say not super social justice I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. What about the backdoor test? I think it passes. Yeah, because even in the opening scenes, the mother and Katie are in the kitchen, like talking about ketchup. Yeah, yeah, they're making their own ketchup and they're talking about it. Yeah, and a lot of the conversations within the movie are not about... are not about romance, necessarily. I mean, they're there, but it's not... that's not all. Yeah. So... I think it does pass. What did did you think?
0: Yeah. I think there's enough like, family conversation to make up... to make up for the like, romance conversation. I don't think it, like, has a great depiction of women just because of the, like, I'm not going to college, I'm gonna get married. I'm getting engaged when (laughs) I'm 17. But... Yeah, it wasn't
1: very feminist. Yeah. But
0: you there's know, a at little least bit there more there than romance.
1: And I mean it goes to show you that the only two movies that have passed so far, I think, that we've watched are both movies about families. Yeah. So That says something. We have yet to see a movie where there's just people interacting as friends or colleagues or something <laughs> and it passes the the factual test. That's terrifying. I have like one or two in mind. That we could do coming down the pike, that that would pass under that. But I mean,
0: that's rare for this time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What is your overall rating that you would give it?
1: I was—is our rating out of four or five stars? Out of five stars. Out of five, I would give it a three. Um, And here's why: I think the production value is really high. I enjoyed watching it. I like that it was a Christmas movie. I enjoy Christmas movies.
0: It was a Christmas movie, but it was also a fall movie and it was a summer movie and, and a it was spring like movie. Although, like get all the <laughs> blockbuster songs in here so that we can like milk it for all it's worth.
1: Um, so I liked it, but I'm you know I wasn't very taken with the plot. What plot? <laughs> yes, yeah, there was almost no plot. So it, I enjoyed it more visually. And for the music Then I liked the story Yeah yeah. What, what would you give it?
0: I think I want to give it a 2.5 2. For okay. all of those reasons Just because at some point I was like I don't know what this movie is about I don't care what this movie is about <laughs> 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 This is ridiculous <laughs> And all I could think about was Judy Garland Like Already
1: uh, But I mean the nice thing is this was the sh- She actually said this was one of her favorite movies yeah. She did so, like, you, we can feel good about that. That's true. All right. I'd still give it a two <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, what's our next movie?
0: It's a Sydney Poitier movie, right? Yes. Paris Blues. Do you believe in equal rights for women?
1: I should say not.
0: Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter, at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud
1: to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow. It is another day.